Hey, Graham. Hello, David. You know what I noticed recently? No, what's that? I only seem to get sick on weekdays. On weekdays? Yeah, I must have a weekend immune system. <sighs> oh, my word. I don't know what to say about this one. A weekend immune system? Yeah. yeah. But it explains. It explains why I only get colds on Thursdays. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, Okay, it's growing on me a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, Speaking uh, of things that'll make you sick. Um, uh, <laughs> that was funny. All right, that, that that makes it go up a little bit. Uh, now it's a five, five out of ten. All right, I'll take I'll take it. I accept that. So, uh, David, yeah, um, I had a dream last night that I wrote Lord of the Rings. <laughs> really? Yeah, I must have been Tolkien in my sleep. <laughs> On a roll. <sighs> you know that's good. You know it's good. You need to reward it. You know, all the kids know, sometimes things are both very bad, particularly jokes, and also very good. And sometimes the goodness and the badness cause each other. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so, <laughs> is that good? I don't know. It. <laughs> I was talking in my sleep. Yeah, you were talking in your sleep and I only get sick on weekdays. <laughs> what did you give me? Uh, probably like a nine or something. Yeah, fine. 9.1. Yes! Wait a second. You tricked me. <laughs> uh, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical, interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes like the one Graham just told, featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And you might know me as Graham Pittman. Well, I do know you. I know, that's why I said, but other people might know me as that as well. Is there another thing that someone might know you as? You said no, that like you might also the only know thing. me as... Well, uh, some people know me as that. Oh, okay. True. It's a very niche market, that one. (laughs) (laughs) I've always wondered why Brandon calls you that. Well, (laughs) this week's episode, we are going to be chatting with children's book author and illustrator Astrid Shekels. Her most recent book is Hector Fox and the Giant Quest. She has illustrated a number of books. Of course, she's also written some of her own. So we got to chat with her about how she became a children's book illustrator and what inspires her and the books she loves and the illustrators she loves and all kinds of things like that. So be sure to turn in, turn in, tune in to that later. I guess you can turn in. Well, I just was going to say there's spoiler alert. There's a giant bear that appears in this episode. <laughs> there is. Although it's a podcast, so it's hard to see if you're just listening. But no, we but saw a giant bear. Yeah. Yeah, you'll feel the menacing gaze. <laughs> That's true. Of course, as usual, we will do snack time and we will do riddle time at the end and we'll tell you the answer to last week's riddle. And we're going to talk about Charlotte's Web, which, you know, we're getting to the end of that book. So we're going to uh, talk about fairs. This, this section involves fairs and very large pigs. Um, so this episode is going to have a very large bear and a very large pig and fairs. Mm. But first, we need to tell you about our friends at The Green Writer. The Green Writer, as you know, Graham, it's an accessible online course that encourages and equips aspiring writers of all ages to... Uh, inspires them to go and to grow. Green writers are going because they have a green light. They aren't waiting for permission or until the fear is gone or the muse strikes. You know, I was thinking about this, Graham. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do muses strike? It sounds so violent. 
It is. Well, sometimes it can be violent. <laughs> you know have this. You, have you ever worked on some piece of art and had a muse strike you violently? Yes. Yeah. And sometimes that makes you delete or uh, throw away what you were doing. <laughs> the muse tells that you, I, this is terrible. This is the wrong direction. Turn around. <laughs> uh, so sometimes it's like that. Or sometimes you're just laying there thinking about nonsense or nothing. And bam. You get a great idea. You know, the great thing, though, about the Green Rider is you can be a writer without depending on the muse striking you either positively or negatively because Green yeah, Riders just, go. Yeah, they just got to go. Yeah. But, of course, you also can grow. Green Riders are growing mm-hmm. like a green living thing. What's your favorite green living thing, Graham? Oh, uh, my favorite green living thing? Good golly. Uh, this line of questioning has got me all flustered. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's say what's your, fa- English- what's your favorite green living thing, Graham? Let's say three, two, one. Now, English ivy. English. Oh, that's a good one. I thought maybe not you'd poison take- ivy. Poison <laughs> ivy. Not oh, no, you do not like poison ivy at all. But no, you continually no, have run-ins with it. Yeah, it strikes me when I least suspect it. Now that I'm thinking about it, is it possible that the reason you don't like poison ivy is because you like English ivy and you mistake the two, and that's why you have so many run-ins with poison ivy? Could be that you're you're starting to shed some light on on something I hadn't thought of before. You may want to take a plant identification course. Okay, perhaps one that's kind of like what the Green Writer is for writers. Well, maybe that maybe S. D. Smith. Um, maybe that will be his next course. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'll take that too. Okay. Well, in the meantime, if you want to become a writer who creates and shares generous, excellent work, then head over to greenwriter.sdsmith.com. We know you want to go and we know you want to grow as a writer. So why not do that alongside a beloved best-selling author like S.D. Smith, who wrote the Green Ember books and created that whole world. And the great thing about this is, is you can get a free sample. So if you head over to greenwriter, as I said, .sdsmith.com, then free sample is awaiting you. But there's also a discount code that you can get. Graham, what's that discount code? That discount code is Withywindle. W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E. So you can use that code at greenwriter.stsmith.com. And we just want to say, we're thankful for Samuel Dennison Smith. Smitherton. Smitherton. And uh, should we shout out his brother, Josiah? Of course. And his brother, Josiah, for, for supporting the show. They're great fellas. Great guys. That brings us... Can you do a drum roll? <laughs> it didn't really... The, the microphone didn't really pick it up. I saw it. Well, well Logan will enhance that if it did there we go. <laughs> that brings us to snack time. Now, are you are you snacking on anything right now? Yes, I am. What? As you can tell, I have a bowl. That, so last time, you know, last time we talked about the superfoods. Yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah. So it inspired me. I need to, you know, maybe get some more healthy snacks in the mix. Okay. So I have a bowl of maple granola. Oh, okay. Sweetened with honey and maple. And then I also have a jar of peanut butter and a very tiny spoon that I've just been (laughs) eating it out of, which is probably not great for you, but the spoon is small, you know? Wait, peanut butter? Wait, what are you saying? Peanut butter is not good for you? Well, I don't know. Eating like large quantities of it, probably not. But it's we're gonna need a we're gonna need a um, nutritionist to weigh in on this and tell us eating copious amounts of peanut butter. (laughs) We don't need that. We don't need that. Um, But it's crunchy peanut butter because that's my favorite. You like a good creamy peanut butter, right? I like both actually. I like crunchy peanut butter. Like if I was eating on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, 
would mm-hmm. think I would want creamy, but I like crunchy peanut butter. Like if I'm just eating peanut butter on, say, an English muffin and it's toasted and it's just the peanut butter, then I would like crunchy peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a I'm huge also, fan of nuts in general. So. Right. But you love peanut butter. Yeah. And I'm also drinking coffee. So, so far I've just described like breakfast. Um, <laughs> Even though it's, it's nighttime right nighttime, now. Nighttime, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm eating granola and peanut butter and coffee. And then we actually made those cookies that we had last time. The peanut butter sugar cookie with the um, Hershey Kiss that we can't figure out a name for or don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you came, you know the no, name. I, I, I don't know the name for it. I don't know. So, yeah, I've got a spread. What about you? So, I have, I'm out in my my writing recording studio, which is a little chilly, mm-hmm. even though it's not too cold tonight. So, I've got some hot chocolate tonight. And I'm going to be honest, earlier I was running some errands and I may have, um, I may have gotten myself um, some Lifesavers that I ate oh. in, the, uh, in the car. Are they, are they the hard ones or the gummy ones? No, I got the gummy ones. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I do like the hard ones the best, but the store just had the, the collisions. And so I got oh. those. And because I ate those while I was driving, I kind of had to you know, minimize the amount of snacking I'm doing right now it being, you know, later in the evening. So uh, I've got some cheese its here and I've got my hot chocolate and uh, mm-hmm. it's hitting the spot. Yep. It's, it looks delicious. Yeah. I mean, sometimes good hot chocolate on a cool winter evening. Okay. Okay. So, so last time we talked about favorite Thanksgiving foods. Yeah. We got Christmas coming. That's true. Do you have a go-to holiday, Christmas holiday snack? Um, so you, do you know what? I think it's actually called Christmas candy. And it's those, speaking of peanuts, it's that candy that's like marshmallows and peanuts yes, kind of yes. melted together yes, with a caramel or something. I love those. And my friends, my friends, Matt and Allie, they make just the best version of that. So I always snag some from them. But to be honest with you, I do love a good old sugar cookie, you know, like a Christmas sugar cookie with the icing that you make with your grandma or something. Those are delicious. But there's also something called Pfeffernusen. Do you like Pfeffernusen? Yeah. It's like a ginger cookie. And you can get it either with like a hard icing shell or a powdered exterior. And I like yeah. the one, like the hard icing shell. And it's yeah. like gingerbread on the inside. It's like a spice cookie inside. Yeah. And yeah. they're nice and fat. Yeah. I actually have some inside. Oh, well, what are you doing? I don't know. I forgot. Well, I like to, um, we like to put candy canes on our tree. Mm-hmm. So every day I just, I mean... The top half of the tree is what I go for because the kids can't reach it. So right. they're just mine. They're like by essentially mine. Smart. So Smart. every day I'll just walk by and grab one of those. And then when one of your kids do something wrong, you can just look at them and walk over to the tree and take a candy can off the bottom and no, move it to no, the top. No, 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 no. <laughs> you would never do that. Maybe once. <laughs> I do like candy canes. You know what else I like is the, you know, the Hershey's Kisses, how they, like, they make a candy cane version of that. I do like that. Have you had those? Oh, like a yeah, peppermint yeah, yeah. Hershey's Kiss type thing, a little chocolate, yeah, yeah. yeah, white chocolate with like a red swirl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are delicious. I, I really like that. And um, we probably talked about this on the Question Palooza because we discussed ice cream, but I don't remember what we talked about. Well, we so ate ice cream a few weeks ago. I just went out and bought a tub of Bluebell peppermint ice cream. It's the best. It's, and it was like heaven. Yeah, it's so good. And the kids don't really care about it. Because they have like, we have chocolate or something else. So it's like all mine. And it's, it's so good. <laughs> well, <laughs> we would never recommend that you bombard your parents with requests for ice cream. 
But if you could politely ask for a specific kind of ice cream, we do recommend a good peppermint ice cream this yeah. holiday season. But you, of course, have, have to earn it, right? <laughs> to ask politely. I mean, uh, sure. Or you could ask repeatedly. That sometimes <laughs> works too. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know as parents. Um, but although we don't, we don't recommend. We can't, we can't officially recommend that you do anything that will annoy your parents. <laughs> Other than yep. listening to this podcast unceasingly. That's, yes, that's our, that's our only disclaimer. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay, that brings us to our next segment, which of course is in keeping with, with snacking. It's where we're going to talk about Charlotte's Web. And it's in keeping with snacking because we all know Wilbur is a great snacker. So, a great time. snack? <laughs> Did no, you I didn't snack? say that. I said oh, snacker. Oh, you are some, you're going to make Wilbur faint. Hey, that was good. That was good. Because in this section, he does faint. He just faints flat out, flat out. Have you ever fainted? Uh, I don't think so. I've come very close. What about you? I don't think I've ever fainted. No. When my you wife was pregnant from, like, with our son, she fainted in church once. Wait, what? Oh, we, we talked about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Recurring story in my life. Sorry, Bethany. <laughs> so, like, if you saw a mouse on the, on, you know, scurry across your floor, you're you're okay with that? Well, I'm not like it's not my favorite thing when animals are like tiny rodents are scurrying around. Um, mm-hmm. But I wouldn't faint. In fact, the other night, here I was sitting in this very room that I'm sitting now, and a flash of color went across my peripheral vision. Ooh, and I turned to look, and I didn't see what it was. Was it was it a was it a mouse wearing a bright red jacket? <laughs> Let me get to it. So then, I'm. <laughs> So then a couple minutes God. later, I'm, I'm continuing on my work and I turn and I, I, I look and coming out of a crack in the door is a mouse in a bright red jacket. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. So I did see, I recently did see a mouse, but then it saw me and it ran inside. So I wasn't able to really wait. To hold on. It. it was a mouse. Yeah. You said a flash of color. Well, I, I didn't specify color. It was just a flash of Okay, a flash of m- movement of that was okay. a different color okay. than the white wall that was next to it. <laughs> okay, a flash of gray. Of it was brown. Gray. It was definitely brown. Oh, okay. It was okay. a brown mouse. That's an official color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike gray? What segment are we in right now? Oh, yeah, we're talking I'm about so Charlotte's confused. Web. Okay, so in this section, we, it's time, time to go to the fair. In fact, the first chapter we discussed is, well, it's, it's off to the fair, is what it's called. And then Wilbur, Charlotte, Templeton. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, yeah, that's the whole crew. They go to yeah. the fair in a crate with the family. Well, two of them are um, stowaways in that crate. That's true. Wilbur's supposed to be in the crate, but, but Charlotte and um, Templeton are hiding in the crate. Mm. And of course, Fern and Avery and the family, they're going to the fair as well. And then when they're at the fair in the next chapter, they meet a giant pig named Uncle. Yes. And Uncle is the competition. He might he might win the win the great pig war, great, the great pig battle of nineteen something four. <laughs> nineteen something four, you know it ends with a four. Nineteen fifty two, and then the last chapter we get um we get Charlotte she she gets a word. What word what word is that? Uh, this time she decides, well, she decides because it's been brought to her, but she could have rejected it, I suppose. Templeton brings her a word, and that word is humble. So last week, we came up with words that we would use to describe, that we would put in, in the web. What mm-hmm. do you think of 
of Charlotte deciding, you know what? The word humble, that's a good one. It's unexpected. That's what I would say. It's unexpected. You'd think at a fair where somebody's going to judge this animal on its qualities, Mm -hmm. um, this would be the time to bring out, as they say, the big guns. Like some (laughs) word, right? Like uh, Splendiferous. Splendiferous or um, uh, incredible (laughs) or truculent. No, probably not truculent. Amazing. Amazing. But like humble. So that, so I would describe it as unexpected. Hmm. Almost the opposite of the other words. Mm. So, but why do you think she chooses it? Like, well, she says it's. She, she does give a little explanation. Yeah. She yeah. says, um, she, I think she even says it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, she says the double well, meaning. No, she doesn't. But I, that's what I took away from it. She says, humble has two meanings it means not proud and near to the ground. So that's Wilbur all over. He's not proud and he's near to the ground. Um, Why do you I think... think she... that... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, fine. She, if, I, if, you, if you insist, she... Why do you think she thinks that that is going to help convince the human, humanoids, convince the humans to, to, to give Wilbur the award? Like, she's been doing know. all these other words, but then she chooses humble. I don't have an answer for that one. Maybe it has something to do with the pig next door. Maybe, maybe, mm, maybe she contrast. realizes that he's not going to out splendiferous <laughs> um, or amaze the pig next door named Uncle. Yeah. So maybe that maybe a different tactic is needed. Mm. Have you ever been to a fair? Yeah, of course. Like Have the you? Fair? Yeah, yeah. Do I like the fair? He says incredulously. Do you think people hate the fair? Sure, there's people that hate the fair. What kind of people? Tell me their names. I don't Lawrence, wanna... Jackie, yeah, I don't want... yep. don't Colin. Like oh, Colin, come on. Ferdinand. Yeah, I don't want to meet any of those people. Raphael. Yes, the, <clears throat> the fair is wonderful. Well, you know, some people might not like crowds or sticky well, foods or rides. There, Well, there's like not liking crowds and then there's not liking crowds but still loving the fair so you go um, but the crowd fair. actually kind of makes the fair right like you need a bunch of hustle and bustle that's true what's, that's what's true. your favorite thing to do at, at a fair mm, i mean eat exactly yeah i'm not Just a kind of like i i want i want any food on a stick <laughs> that's what i want it can be cotton candy it can be yes yeah it could be dog. Like, it could be a corn dog it could a corn be, dog uh, yeah just any kind of meat on a stick. So now we're back to snack time. <laughs> well, no, we're back to fair time. This is fair time. Fair time. It's yeah, different. Yeah. It's very, very different. Well, and of course, this brings us back to the book because Fern and Avery are just having the time of their life. And in fact, at the end of this week's section, Fern says, that was the very best day I've ever had. She says that to her mm-hmm. mom. Well, meanwhile, you know, Charlotte and Templeton and Wilbur are back there in the, in the, in the barn, I guess, the barnyard. It, I love the section where it talks about how much fun they're having and the adults go to look at their things and the kids look at their things and they give yeah. each of the kids some coins. Don't spend it all in one place. Yeah. Like and then a the mother says, are we sure this is okay? And the father says, eh, they got to grow up sometime. Might as well be at the fair. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I love that too. <laughs> Parenting lessons for us there. So as we get to the end of this book, we only have next week, we're going to finish it. Right. So what are we, I guess we have to, right? Yeah. Cause next week's our last Oh we, man, but there's four chapters left. Are we, that's a heavy load. That's a, that's like almost as big as Uncle the Pig there. 
I think we can do it. I think we can, I think do, we it. can do it too. I think we have to. Yeah. So with these four chapters left, what are you looking for? What are you excited about? Or what's something that would happen in this section or a passage that you really liked that, you know, is getting you excited for, for the end of this, the end of the book? Okay. So a couple of things. So I really like that Charlotte insisted that Templeton come because mm. I think he's a really interesting kind of funny character. But he's she kind of like a like, foil. Yeah, but she, like, I feel like Charlotte, she knows he can be useful and helpful, but mm-hmm. also I think she wants to kind of help him too. Oh, interesting. Maybe. I, I, I yeah. That's just a feeling I have. Like maybe yeah. she wants to help him become kind of a better version of himself. Hmm. So, and I, and I liked. Um, but she also thinks he's, she knows he's going to be helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. She knows she's going to get something out of him and she, she appeals to his stomach again. Yeah. Which yeah. is great. Telling him all the wonderful things that are going to be, he can eat at the fair if he comes with them. You know, that but, brings me to something because one of the okay. things I love about this book, we talked about personification a lot. It's giving the animals human characteristics. So there was a chapter in last week's reading, I think where the animals are all getting anxious because of the end of summer, you know, and the sheep get so anxious, they break down the gate. And then the the geese follow and the ducks follow and all the animals follow. And a similar thing happens in this chapter where he gives, he personifies an animal in a way that gives a human reason for an action that all animals do. And I find that really fun because he's, you've got, it's almost like giving an excuse and not an excuse. It's giving a reason for why animals do the things that we've all seen them do all the time, but it's giving it, doing it in a way that we all understand, you know, we've, we've all felt anxiety. We've all felt nervous about something. And so when he, he gives the reason that the the sheep were anxious, so they broke down the gates, that feels mm-hmm. that's like something we can all identify with. And yeah. he does that so much as he's personifying. I love that he keeps doing that in this section too, even with Templeton. Well, I'm, I, I love that. And I guess, I guess what I'm looking forward to, or I'm curious about is what Charlotte's doing because she's doing something at the end of the, um, yeah, there's a mystery. The last chapter in 18, that's kind of mysterious. She's going into the shadows and she's not telling Wilbur, but she says, I'll tell you in the morning. Um, I'll show you something. I'll show you my masterpiece. And I don't mm. think it's, she's referring to her web that she finished. Um, so it's something else. But then like, as we wrap this up, I mean, I am curious, like, is he going to win the fair or, you know, things like that. But like, what's going to happen to Wilbur? Yeah. That's what I'm really curious about. Is he going to go live with Fern? Is he going to end up on, I don't think he's going to end up on the, you know, Christmas table, but it's always a possibility, I suppose. (laughs) And then if, if Wilbur ends up leaving the farm, what happens to the animals Mm. or does he just stay there and, and live with them and Fern comes and visits, but eventually she's going to grow up too. There's like, there's just a lot of questions. So I'm very curious because I genuinely do not remember how this ends. Mm. Yeah. Um, Wilbur and Charlotte both have become kind of beloved, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. both good friends, but we've also gotten to know them. And so it's starting to get us to that point where you start to get a little, you get that like anxiety or that, that sense of, you start questioning what's going to happen. Who's going to, where are they all going to be at the end of this book? Are they still going to be friends? Are they going to both be there? You know, um, you, it did. The book is definitely telling us besides the length, but the, the the way he's writing it, we're coming to the end. Big things are about to happen. Get ready. And so that's, you know, that's a great, when, when authors kind of warn us of that, it's something to pay attention to as we get to the yeah. end. Okay. So before we leave book time, yeah, yeah, I have two 
very important questions for you. Supremely important out of these chapters. So Charlotte somewhat tricks, not really. She, she, she gets Templeton to come by appealing to all his food, you know, the, the food that'll be at the fair. Mm-hmm. And she turns and winks at the sheep. Okay. Mm-hmm. When a spider's winking, since it has all those eyes, <laughs> right? Let's say, I don't know, how many eyes does a spider have? We need what? a kid to draw the picture of a winking spider. Yes. Somebody out there okay. needs to do that. So is it like just one eye like us? One, one of the eight or 12 or whatever they have? Or is it half of all of the eyes? I wish I knew more about... Uh, see, can you imagine if the spiders, like all the like the... The brain can control each eye individually. So you could have different, you, maybe they're not even the ones that are next to each other. You could have different eyes all over different parts of the spider or whatever that are, diff, that are each winking. So like flashing lights almost. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it does. Okay, second question. Okay. Uh, we learn in that first chapter that Mrs. Zuckerman gives Wilbur a buttermilk bath. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When you were little or anything, did you did you ever take a bath in something that wasn't water? Not that I remember, but no, me either. We'll have to. It's just a question. We'll I was thinking our, of like have to the, ask the our only, mothers. The only thing I could think of like you got sprayed by a skunk or yeah, something. Yeah, tomato. What is that? Tomato get, juice. Tomato juice. Yeah. Yeah. Or I guess if somebody snuck up behind you and like dumped a bunch of Gatorade on you, that'd be kind of like taking a bath. Then. That's true. That's true. Like someone like a sports coach winning something. Okay. I just wanted to check. I wasn't sure. It was, it was eating at me. I had to know. Mm. Well, I'm glad we could solve that. <laughs> I was really hoping you would say, yeah, when I was nine, the skunk got me. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of banking on that. It's fine. We'll move on. Bathed in apple cider vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of book time. And it's time to introduce you to our conversation with Astrid Shekels. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to eat up on some snacks. And uh, we'll be back in just a second. And we're back. It is time for our conversation with Astrid Shekels. She's a children's book illustrator, and Graham's going to tell us about her in just a second. We had a great time chatting with her. Uh, it was Thanksgiving week, I think, when we or right before Thanksgiving when we got to talk to her. So we, mm. we did talk. We did talk about some food. Some food too. It, it seems to be something that happens a lot on this on this show that we end up we're talking all, about. We're food. just always hungry. That's true. That's true. And we're only human. That's true. It's true. Also, you're hollow leg. So, (laughs) well, I mean, I guess, I mean, if people haven't seen us, they're not, one of us might not be human, you know? Are you you telling me something that I never knew before or? Nope. Are are we? uh, All right. And moving on. Uh, So, time to to introduce us to Astrid Shekels. Graham, do you want to go ahead and take that away? Tell us, tell us about who she is. All right, so Astrid Shekels, and uh, some of you might know her by Astrid Shekels. Uh, (laughs) Astrid cannot remember a time when she was not telling or illustrating stories, especially ones involving imaginary animals. A native of Western Massachusetts and growing up in an artistic family, Astrid spent her childhood playing outside, using her imagination and drawing. She studied fine art at Greenfield Community College and now works as a full-time artist. Hmm. Good for her. Her debut picture book as an author-illustrator is the award-winning Nick and Nellie, which was quickly followed by Hector Fox and the Giant Quest. As an illustrator, 
Her other award-winning titles include The Scallop Christmas and The Fish House Door. She has illustrated the picture book Hope Somewhere in America and the two chapter books Black Cloud and Tennessee Rose in the Horse Diaries series. She did a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of awards. We keep getting people that have won a lot of awards. Yeah, and you know, people that have won a lot of awards, it means they've put a lot of time and a lot of work into their craft and learning their art. And so it's really fun to talk to people like that because they've thought a lot about what makes for for good art and they've spent a lot of time, you know, reading great books. And so yeah, so we get to pick their brain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then without further ado, let's turn it over to our conversation where we pick Astrid Shekel's brain. Here it is. Hope you enjoy. Astrid, thanks so much for joining the show. We're excited to chat with you. I'm very excited to chat with you too. It's pretty exciting. So, you know, you've listened to the show. You told us before we hit record that you've listened. So you know that the, what, what question is coming. Yes. You know that we need to know whether you are a Cheetos or a Doritos person. It was a question that was asked before the very first episode ever. And we felt like we needed to just begin every conversation with hard-hitting questions like that. Questions the kids really care about. <laughs> it's a, it's, so, I feel like it's a question that's been asked, you know, before time immemorial. <laughs> Not just before our first episodes. <laughs> so where do you stand on this important question, Astrid? Well, I actually was going to kind of wing it. And then I realized it's good to do research. And <laughs> I have never bought a bag of Doritos or Cheetos in my life. I have eaten them before, but it was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I decided I should go. And to be really honest, it took me three different stories before I actually got what I wanted. <laughs> so, um, yes, I had snack time before we started recording. And Smart. I can say that I'm not a huge fan of the stuff all over your fingers um, because I'm a painter and I work with mm-hmm. paper and that's not a really good mix. But I was all ready to say that I am not a fan of either, but I tasted them and I think I could become addicted. So, <laughs> yeah, they're, I, they're, they're engineered to be addictive. So, so. You, could be, I know. you could become more addicted to which one? Probably the Doritos. I think I like the texture better. Mm. Yeah, the the I think when people don't love Cheetos, it's because it's just the weird, it's a weird crunch. It's like it takes extra work. And the color when I opened when I opened the bag, you saw the color. It was okay, electric. Yeah, this isn't nat- <laughs> it's not natural. Nothing about it is natural. That's <laughs> yeah. very true. Uh, okay, so other food questions that we that we like to ask, just so we can kind of get to know you, and our listeners can get yep. to know you. Are you a coffee or a tea person? I am totally a tea person. I do not like coffee. But I also do not drink a lot of tea. I'll have tea in the evening and that's about it. Okay. So you don't need caffeine in the morning or anything like that? No. My artwork gets me excited enough. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So are you a cake or a cookies person? Mm, It depends, but probably mostly cookies. Do you you have a favorite? Ooh, that's hard. Chocolate chip or some kind of like a spice cookie. Mm. Yeah. My family's from Denmark, so we do have a lot of different kinds of traditional cookies oh. that all the Americans wouldn't be crazy about. It's like really, <laughs> really hard cookies that are very have a lot of spices to them. Yeah. So is that like cookies that like that taste better than they look? Mm. The texture and it's all about flavors. Okay, so we're coming up on the holidays here. Thanksgiving yeah. is next week, well, at least when, when we're recording, and then Christmas is coming up. What are your favorite go-to holiday snacks? And, and like you, please tell us about the Danish ones. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Okay. Holiday snacks. So in Denmark, they do a lot of stuff with almonds. So whether it's like candied almonds or almonds in cookies or, uh, yeah, almonds figure in big. Uh, Why, why is that? I don't know. Actually air my ignorance here. What's the origin of the almond craze in Denmark? They must've been special at some point and then you stick them in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's tradition. It's just tradition. It is tradition. David, stop questioning. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm not questioning. I'm just curious. I'm investigating. (laughs) So, and then besides like just strictly Christmas, I have a big thing for licorice, Mm. not the American kind. Yeah. Like, right, like salty, real licorice. Real licorice. So David, be sort of grown up to like. So David, yeah, oh, yeah. David's family is German, mm-hmm. and uh, they are also, I know, big fans of black licorice. And I remember one of the first times I met your dad, he gave me one of those licorice cats and said, here, eat this, which <laughs> I did. And I had to take it out of my mouth <laughs> because it was so salty. I was like, this is not candy. This is like punishment. Um, <laughs> But I've soon come to, uh, or, you know, after a certain amount of time, I've, decade. Come to, I've come to appreciate them and even crave them a little bit. Yeah, it can yeah. happen. Real licorice is, I mean, in, in so in the licorice you're thinking of, is it like salty? Is it more like it's just really intense, less sugary? Because, I mean, most kids here will just have had like black licorice twizzlers which the best Twiz- twizzlers licorice. yeah twizzlers do not count as licorice in my right. book right oh so no that's salty something that's very strong um i can get licorice that's too strong for me <laughs> but yeah. uh sometimes it'll be coated with sugar on the outside but the inside is like pretty strong it's very so yeah my, there's a lot of like contrast in that yes yes one of my favorite ones are these fish that are just incredibly salty have you ever had those <laughs> Yes. Does that count? Yes, okay. it does. All right, good. Yeah. So the Astrocycle's licorice um, <laughs> meter, it falls, it falls on that. Right. So, yeah, and some of them are really hard, and some of them are really, like, chewy and soft, so you get all sorts of different kinds. So are there any... Normally, I would ask, are you a savory or a sweet person in terms of your tastes, yeah. not in terms of your personality? But are you... Um, like, what is, a, what is a good savory... Danish holiday food. We've talked about some sweet ones. What's a what's a savory one? Something mm. involving like fish or something? Yes, definitely. Um, not really necessarily as a snack, but yeah, uh, yeah. curried pickled herring is oh okay pretty good, and also liver pate. Okay, yeah. It's weird how different countries, even like these are both Western countries, how different traditions and food and things like that can be. It's fascinating. Yeah. So we're here to obviously share a lot of questions from the kids. And I'm going to turn it over to Graham here in a second. But before we do that, could you just kind of give a summary of some of the things that you've worked on? You've, you're an illustrator and an author. You've worked on chapter books and picture books and even translation books, right? I didn't translate you, them, but yes, but they you've have worked on yeah, books of translation. Yeah. So you've worked on all kinds of different projects. Could you kind of just tell the kids who may be new to your work or... Um, have only read some of your work, what what you like to do and what some of your books have, your favorite books have been um, been all about. Yeah, definitely. So I am a children's book illustrator. So I have worked on quite a few different projects. My first book came out, I think it's 11 years ago, and I was contacted by a publisher and asked if I would 
take a look at a manuscript. And it's my first book called The Skull of Christmas. So very timely for this season. It takes place in Maine. So I actually had to go up to Maine to do some on location research, which was really cool. I got to go to some different little fishing villages and take lots of pictures of lobster boats so I could go back to my studio and continue painting. So I've done, um, I did another book that also took place in Maine called The Fish House Door. They're both very realistic. Um, I got neighbors and friends and family to model for me. Then my next book, Nick and Nelly, also takes place very coastal New England, has a big black dog in it. It's my dog. Uh-huh. So I've done a few, I've done, I think it's a total of seven picture books or kids books. Two of them are chapter books. Some of your listeners might be familiar with the Horse Diaries series. So I illustrated um, book eight and nine. And a friend of mine was illustrating the whole series and was having some health issues and asked if I could jump in and Random House was okay with that. So I got to work with a really huge publisher, which was a very, a very interesting process when you don't get to sort of make your own decisions about what you're going to draw and they tell you exactly what to do and you have to follow instructions and not be terribly creative, but it was a fun project. Sounds scary. It, it was kind of scary to realize I was just this tiny cog in a very big publishing machine. Mm. They didn't really care what I thought. I'm <laughs> so. sure it was quite lucrative too. I'm sure you just made like, you bought a summer house with that one. Mm, not quite. <laughs> In Denmark. Right. Oh, she bought a castle, a Danish castle. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, those are, those come up for sale all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe with so, some of the ones that are falling apart, you know, you can, you can get those on the cheap. Sure. So, right. so you mentioned, and this is one of the questions we got from the kids, um, so you had mentioned with The Scallop Christmas, that was your first book and you got contacted by a publisher. So one of the kids is wondering, how does that happen? So like, how does, did they just randomly give you a phone call or had you been pursuing that kind of work or how, how does that all come about? Yeah, that's a really good question. Getting publishing work is very difficult. <laughs> I had been wanting to be a children's book illustrator for basically forever. And uh, this particular publisher had some of my work on file and they'd had it in their files for about a year. And then out of the blue, they contacted me. So a big part of it is getting your work out there. So having a website so people can see your artwork, um, doing a lot of artwork that you think will really showcase what you're capable of doing and having a good representation of what you can do, put your best work out there and be consistent with it. I very early on realized I, I wanted to do a certain kind of illustration. So my art is quite, it's either realistic and now I'm actually switching quite a bit to being very whimsical and imaginative. And so if you look at my website now compared to well, you can't look at it for 10 years ago, but if you were able to time travel and look at it, my website would look very different because there I was showing a lot of realism because that's what I thought I wanted to do. And here in later years, I've been putting a lot more of anthropomorphic animals on there and a lot of imaginative stuff so that publishers who are looking at me now would say, oh, she does this imaginative stuff. So hopefully I'll be getting more of that kind of work compared to very sort of very non-fiction-ish, mm. um, realistic-looking things. So, yeah. Yeah, and so that switch, that that conscious decision to put out more fantastic stuff, 
versus the realistic stuff. Mm. Is that because you were getting tired of doing realistic stuff or the, that you felt like, no, my style is actually, this is the, what I'm more passionate about is this kind of fantastic stuff. Yeah, it's definitely what I'm more um, passionate about. Mm. It's what has my interest. Um, I think that's also sort of what sets me apart from other people who are doing realistic. I mean, realistic can look very realistic for a, a lot of different artists, but this is where I feel like my voice is coming through hmm. visually. So. so, so when you were a kid, who were the illustrators that, that most inspired you to want to be an artist and, and maybe even still today, who, you know, when you're in a rut, who are you, whose books are you looking at? Whose illustrations are you looking at? Uh, definitely Beatrix Potter. Hmm. There is a British artist called John S. Goodall. Um, I loved getting his books when I was a little kid going to the library. They're all wordless. Hmm. Certainly look him up. The li- different libraries. They're, very, they're really old, but um, really John old. John S. Goodall? Yep. Mm-hmm. They're like from the 70s-ish. So yeah. not that old, I guess. Well, but, you know, uh, for the kids listening, that's pretty old. Yeah. And they've been sort of out of print for a while. But they're really fun uh, they all have animals that are dressed up and go on adventures. And mm-hmm. I was a slow to learn reader. So wordless picture books were totally up my alley. Mm-hmm. So I tend to gravitate toward stories or picture books where you can kind of decipher the story just by looking at the illustrations. So that's definitely something I'm trying to do with my picture books is to make sure even if you're three and can't read, you can get the gist of the story just by looking at the illustrations. So did you, did you know, like you wanted to be an illustrator when you were three years old? No, but I was drawing kind of crazy stuff at three years old. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> okay. So, oh, maybe not that crazy. It was three or four. I drew, I think that's when my mom was like, oh, Astrid can draw. Yeah. Because <laughs> I drew a mouse Natural. that was a mouse that was conducting an well, minus the orchestra. It was a mouse that was conducting with a music stand in front of him. So, so wait, say that again. Is a mouse so, with a music? Yeah, so it was a condu- it was a conductor mouse wow. who was standing, conducting at a music stand. And, and you were three, they- and they knew what this was. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I was four. I might have been four. Do you still have any of those? I just like people like you. <laughs> do you. Do you still have any of those old drawings from when you were little? Yes, not that particular one, mm-hmm. but I have tons. My mom was really good about keeping art. Have you gone back to them? Yes, I have. Yes. And that's been really, really fun. I did one that I posted on Instagram of a mother bear and a little girl bear in the kitchen by that. And she's taking a pie. She's the mom's walking with this pie and she sort of looks like she's levitating. I mean, she's, it's kind of funny. Just the shadow underneath her and she's above the shadow and it's full of claws. And there's a, anyway, so I think that was maybe about a year ago. I, around thanksgiving last year i did my own take on it this year or this part now and it was it was pretty funny to see it so um you you had said that uh your style has shifted into something you're more passionate about yes can you explain that a little bit about why um or what draws you to this kind of subject matter okay so i really enjoy I really like animals. I've liked animals since I was a kid. So, and I've always really liked books that have animals that are dressed up in clothes. I, I mean, my dad read the Narnia books to 
me as a kid, they're not dressed up, but definitely talking animals were sort of normal. Well, the so first, the idea, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, got, you got a fawn with the scarf, right? Yeah. So the, that's that's a little bit in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't think the beavers are wearing much clothes, though. But she's sewing, so she might be oh, sewing yeah. something. True, yeah. Curtains, maybe. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, so the um, illustrating books or telling stories that have animals, I've been doing that since I was little. And it was just the time where I actually was able to transition that into a book was, um, well, I've written many, many stories that have never seen the light of day. And the more I illustrated stories that had animals in it, I realized, okay, that is really where my heart lies and where I really want to continue, um, you know, working through and seeing what that looks like with, with animals that are going on adventures and doing all sorts of like kid-like things, but it's animals. It's very yeah. relatable to children, no matter what your background is or experiences when you can see, you know, animals having fun together and versus doing the kind of illustrations where it's realistic children. You're like, oh, that's a real person and she doesn't look like me or, you know, it's a it's a girl and I don't like stories about boys. Then when you have a story where it's all animals, you can, whether it's a girl rabbit or a boy rabbit, you can relate to them because they're just animals and friends and Stuff. Yeah. 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 So you said you mentioned Beatrix Potter and you, you mm. mentioned this other illustrator. Are there other books in that vein that are, you know, you're kind of your guiding lights, the ones that, and, and I love the idea of like maybe even recommending ones that not everyone's heard of. You mentioned somebody yeah. who a lot of kids won't have heard of. Who else would you recommend that kids check out? Again, this is, this is old, but um, Elsa Besto books. She's a Swedish mm. illustrator. Her books are still in print there. Um, so you can, get them, probably find them at the library. Maybe you carry them at your bookstore, but um, those are really fun. They have lots of, uh, it's very imaginative again, things with flower fairies and just old fashioned kind of cozy stories about yeah, kids going on adventures or um, just like, I don't know, personification of the, uh, the vegetables in your garden as like little people. It, it's quite fun. In- can you spell Eska or sorry, Elsa's last name? Yeah, I believe it's V E S K O W. Perfect. Are we good? Very close to what you did. So you just held up a book called The Festival Flowers. Is that what it's called? The yeah. Flower Festival? Yeah. Which is not her best book. It's just I got it really cheap used. Yeah. So let's see. So other illustrators that I really like, um, Trina Schartheimer. That's how you say her name. Are you familiar with her? Mm-mm. I'm not sure. Where, where is she? Is she okay. also from Denmark? <laughs> no, she's not. No, she's she's American. She did a Caldecott Honor, um, a Little Red Riding Hood, mm. St. George and oh, the Dragon. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. We, we have several of these books. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think her line work is just incredible. Um, Garth Williams with mm. his pen and ink stuff. Us, he did a little house reading. in the prairie books, right? Yeah, I I'm not that crazy about his in that, but I since you're reading Charlotte's Web, I really yeah. like his Charlotte's Web illustrations, the Stuart yeah. Little, yeah. Um, Wind in the Willows. Doesn't really matter who illustrated it, but they whoever happens to be illustrating it, whatever book I pick up, they're usually they're pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so another question we got is why 
why did you decide on watercolor? And are you attracted to any other mediums? Okay, watercolor. I started painting in watercolor as, I don't know, probably like a nine-year-old and haven't really stopped. (laughs) Uh, There was a lady in our town who gave my sister and me a few watercolor lessons, and that kind of got me started. And I do paint in other things. I went to college and studied fine art. They didn't teach anything with illustration. So I have a lot of oil painting background and charcoal and like big paintings, gallery kind of stuff. And that has really informed the way I paint with watercolor. So if you look at my illustrations, they don't have that sort of wishy-washy watercolor thing that's normal for watercolor where it kind of goes everywhere and it's hard to control. So I paint very controlled and really push the contrasts a lot more than usually happens with watercolor because it's usually kind of, it can be sort of faint and not very distinct. Mm -hmm. So I guess I took everything I knew about oil paint and how how much you can really push those colors and make the darks Mm -hmm. really dark and stuff and added that to when I'm painting with watercolor to make sure that I have a lot of contrast, a lot of darks, a lot of lights. So this is an this might be a good time for this question here. Do you, we've talked a little bit about how you're, you have a Danish heritage. Does that heritage, do you think play into your subject matter? And then even your style, you're talking about the watercolors, the particular way you do that. Do you think that heritage and your family's history and all that influences that at all? And is there any kind of Danish like influence in those mediums? Some things that I, it doesn't really reflect in my other paintings. I'll have like little gnomes and stuff, which I don't think of them as little gnomes. I think of the Danish nissa or nisse, which is sort of like the Swedish tumpton. So I, I put a lot of that kind of, so sort of some of the folk tale, folklore stuff that does come from my Danish roots. Uh, I love those kind of stories when I was a kid and just, you know, I knew they weren't real, but. You could pretend they were real. No, they might be real. I don't know. They might be real. Yeah. So, yeah. They're not real. <laughs> yeah. So when I, Sorry. Yeah, I've never been to Denmark. Can't prove it. <laughs> so when, yeah, when I'm looking at your work and I'm looking at like all these winter scenes and like yeah. you say with like the gnomes and, and things like that, I, I'm not thinking of the, uh, the Northeast or anything like that. It, it does transport me to some kind of like ancient European fairyland. Uh, yes, definitely. That's, super, what I, that's what I was going for. So <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very appealing. And it like, I don't know, I, I think your style is absolutely wonderful. And just like, you can get lost in your images very easily. I'm just, I'm a big fan. <laughs> so, Thank you. so I have a question. This is just from me. Yes. Graham's artistic. He does design yeah. work, but he also can like doodle and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I can doodle. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> doodling, doodling is good. And yeah. I, I really can't, but I've, as an adult now, I'm wanting to like play around with that more. And so I'm trying to like start with shapes and things like that. It's just kind of, you know, very rudimentary just to, so I don't, so I can learn new stuff even as an adult. Right. Yeah. So like David Wait. learned what a circle was the other day. I, it was great. <laughs> and then I also discovered my two-year-old taught my three. She's three now. She taught me what a triangle is the other day. That was wonderful too. So um, I'm curious if illustrators, when you're working on a book, is there, are you just like, people love pictures. So I'm just going to make this picture as awesome as possible. Or is there any sense where you're trying to like communicate in a way with people who do know how to be artists? Or do you have to like think about the fact that some people who are looking at a picture don't actually know 
how to, to make anything artistic like that. And so maybe they're not that lack of education or that lack of skill means that you have to, I don't know, dumb down a picture for someone like me. Do you ever think about things like that, that some people who are looking at them are net, just don't know how to do what you're doing. Is that, or is that something that an artist just doesn't ever have to think about? Um, I, I do think there are artists who think about it. I tend not to, I think probably because I have a fine art background. So yeah, well, one way I think about it is picture books are the first way children or maybe people in general, but children are introduced to art. So hmm. I want to give them as good an art experience as possible. Hmm. Um, I don't think art in books, I, there are tons of different kinds of books. So I'm probably stepping on somebody's toes here, <laughs> but there are tons of different kinds of books out there, but I don't see a reason why for children, we should dumb art down. I don't think there's a yeah. reason to say, okay, because this is a kid's book, they don't need to get as much out of it. The kinds of books I loved when I was young was, I still love those books, where you look at it and you don't see everything at the first glance, but you can look at it, you can stay there, you know, 30 yeah. seconds longer or, yeah. or maybe a minute longer. If you go back to it, you could stand, sit there and look at it for five minutes and continue discovering things. And the only way that actually happens is for me on the art side of it to actually have spent that much time putting all those details in yeah, and really, you know, thinking through like, for instance, uh, I haven't talked about this yet, but um, Hector Fox and the Giant Quest, my most recent book. Oh, and we're uh, going to reference it here in a minute. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so in that way, <laughs> jumping in. So in a scene like that, where you're going into this imaginary Fox's house, I, all the stuff he has, I'm looking at Graham behind you. Um, you've got all that stuff on your bookcase behind me in my studio. I have all this junk and art supplies and a bear behind me and stuff. Yeah. That doesn't the just bear's a curious, curious guy. <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't just happen or in real life, it happens on its own. You know, yeah. stuff collects, we can put stuff on shelves, but if it's going to end up in a painting, in this case, I have to paint every single little book in there. I have to think about, okay, what kind of stuff can I clutter up this scene with? So interesting uh, fact, if you go back and look at my first book, I did this wharf scene with these two girls who are hauling a bushel basket of scallops and the, uh, the Harbor is clean. Like there is no junk. Okay. I put one squiggly rope down and I think <laughs> I brought myself to the point where I could put a lobster buoy, but that was it. And I was like, Ooh, I'm cluttering this up. Okay. Next book. I was like, okay, again, Harbor scene. I was like, all right, I got to put some junk in here. Like, junk happens. It's like all around us, but it only ends up in artwork. If you take the time to actually put it in there and it's, mm. it's a lot of work. So yeah. um, I guess there's a roundabout way of answering. I think anyone can draw. I think everyone is, anyone is capable of drawing. It's a skill that can simply be learned and it's a wonderful thing to do. I'm excited to hear if you're, you know, working on triangles and circles, that's super, but <laughs> I, I feel like drawing and, um, you being able to draw sketching. It's a way of observing in a totally different way than if you just kind of walk by and look at something or if you're constantly taking photos or, but like slowing down, actually observing and trying to replicate it on a piece of paper, who cares what mm -hmm. it looks like, but you start noticing and appreciating the world around you in a very different way. So yeah. I can only advocate for it for all the kids who are listening. It doesn't matter if you're good at it or not. You're going to, 
learn a lot, just sharpening your observation skills. It'll make you a better writer. It'll make you a better reader and observer and just an appreciation of the world around you that you've been placed in. So Hmm. I was talking to someone recently who is a musician and is also an artist and I like, I'm I write. And we were talking about how a lot of times people who are real artists do, they dabble in more than one form because they haven't, there's another form that maybe they're not quite as good at. Now, in this case, the person I was talking to is like professional in both fields. So he's one of those annoying people, but um, (laughs) we were talking about how he was saying that even if you're a professional in, in an artistic field, the ability to play in that field and like see the world the way kids do and just like not worry about how good it is, but just take pleasure in the things that you're seeing and make it a game almost is so important even for, even for the, even for adults. So it got me thinking, he's like, okay, I need to, I need to just be willing to like try stuff and play and see the world in that playful way and not worry about competency so much. (laughs) So I like what you're saying there. Graham, you had a quick question and then we've got, we need to do some uh, talk about that new book. Yeah. So here's a fun question. Um, If you could pick like a classic children's book to illustrate, like you had free reign. Is there one that you would just like die to do? You'd... Even if it's already been done. Like, you know, you mentioned Sh- uh, Charlotte's oh, yeah. Web or whatever. Like yeah. there's, a, there's already a version of it with illustrations. Ooh, I would love to illustrate one, if not all, the Narnia books. Like that would be ah. absolutely amazing. That or Wind in the Willows. Those are good choices. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, so that's Pauline Baines, right? Mm. Has there been any other edition of Narnia with with other? Well, they do the full color ones, and then they have the just. That just struck me though. Like you have all these other, you know, classic books that have multiple editions of things. That's it's interesting that there's really just the one. Yeah, I feel like I've seen some, uh, like some some Narnia storybook kind of thing. Or maybe, I feel like I've seen something with, maybe with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where someone had gone through and illustrated it. But I think it was maybe, I don't know if it was an annotated kind of book or something special. Or it was just like a day in Narnia and then it was like, I don't know, Lucy and Susan and Aslan hanging out together. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen the Jim K. Harry Potter illustration? You know, the the really big ones. That's what we need. We need the Astrid Shekels illustrated Chronicles of Narnia, like coffee table size book. Yeah, it would so be cool. David and I will use our connections with the C.S. <laughs> the Lewis, Lewis estate. <laughs> yep. Let's make this happen. I want to see the Astrid Shekels Narnia series. We'll uh, we'll just make a few phone calls. It'll be done tomorrow. <laughs> um, well, you mentioned that your your most recent book is called Hector Fox and the Giant Quest. This book is beautiful. I think it's mm. it's wonderful. We've had it here in the store, and so we have some questions. We have a very important quiz for you. Um, Graham, how, what are we calling this? Fox facts? Fox, Fox facts. Fox facts. So we have four questions about foxes that we, and we want to see how much fox knowledge you have. These are definitely oh, yeah. in no way ridiculous questions at all. They're to- all totally 100% serious fact, fact based fox facts. That's hard to say. Fact, fact. Yeah, I can't. Fact-based fox facts. Okay, Graham, you want to do the first one? Okay, so question one. The smallest fox in the world, okay? Oh, these are multiple choice. Okay. So it is either A, the fennec fox, B, the Trigian fox, or C, the Fuchs 
<laughs> FX, you mean? Like there's no O? <laughs> yeah, just FX. <laughs> Fix. Hmm. I thought it was going to be like the Kit Fox. Hmm. See, she actually knows Fox stuff, having probably done copious research on foxes to do a fox book. Well, I just knew it was going to be a red fox that I was using, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> research ended at that point. Got it. Um, B. We'll go with B. The answer is A. Really? So the fennec, hey, the fennec I fox. Well, this is these are difficult. At least the first one. Um, so the the fennec fox is like six inches. It can it can be six inches, and it's uh it kind of looks like baby Yoda. Like it's got like gigantic Ooh. ears. Okay. Um, but the kit fox, you're very close. That was one of the smallest fox species. And what about what was the second one? I just made it like huge. Oh, <laughs> but it sounded real. I was trying to go down that sounded real. Okay, speaking of things that are real, here is the second question. Astrid, which of these foxes is most fantastic? We know, of course, about Roald Dahl's book, The Fantastic Mr. Fox. So yeah. one of these three things is the most fantastic, and we need to know which one you think it is. The fox Robin Hood from the famous Walt Disney adaptation of the Robin Hood stories. The fox from The Fox and the Hound. Or silver foxes, like famously handsome actor George Clooney. Hmm. Okay. Um, I think I will need to go with Robin Hood because that was my absolute hands down favorite movie as a kid. It's it's objectively the right answer. I think. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. And just out of um, principle, I just had to not answer yes to three. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Graham. Let me do the second one, and then I'll let you do the last one. I mean, let me do the third one and then I'll let you do the last one. Okay. Although I don't know the answer to this, so you'll have to give it. In order to help them hunt, foxes tap into what natural force? (laughs) Lava power, the Earth's magnetic field, or the power of persuasion? (laughs) Uh, I should have read it beforehand, so I wasn't laughing. So again, three options. Lava power, the Earth's magnetic field, or the power of persuasion? Astrid, which of these helps foxes hunt? I'm going to go with power of persuasion. Graham, what's the answer? So they can tap somehow well, into the Earth's magnetic field to help them hunt. Is this real? Yeah. This is, this is, this can't be. Okay, this is well, true. This is what makes, this is one of the things that makes foxes like incredible. So like if you see foxes on the snow or things like that, they're they're somehow using the magnetic field to to figure out what's underneath, and then you see them like jump up and dive like head first. Astrid, I'm begging you, please incorporate this into a sequel. Okay, <laughs> but the power of persuasion is good because they can. I, I am clever. I imagine foxes could be quite persuasive with their prey. Well, I feel like they are in like all the stories you read, yeah, maybe clever. except for my story, but they're always like persuading you to do the wrong thing. Yeah, so I would agree with that. I think that's a correct answer, too. Speaking of persuasion, this is our time for the last question here, Graham. Bring okay. brings us to the last question. This is a tricky one. All right, so this is, what does the fox say? Okay, so A, he does a whistle, and then followed by two clicks right after it. Can you give us an example of that, Graham? Uh, can I on the mic? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Or they say uh, a ring, ding, 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 ding. Or foxes, whether conveying approval, disappointment, contempt, or aloofness, always let their eyes do the talking. Okay. 
I would, since I've been doing so well with this quiz so far, I'm going to go with the first answer with a whistle and two clicks. Oh, okay. That, I'm going to say that's the only correct answer out of this one. So in the Fantastic Mr. Fox movie, that is kind of his catchphrase. Which brings us back to Silver Fox. He's like famously handsome actor George Clooney, who does the voice oh, of the to Mr. Fox. Wow. That is true. Yeah, good job. So I have no idea what a fox actually sounds like. No clue. Do any of you? Well, there's I've that heard, yeah, but, internet video. <laughs> I've heard... I feel like they make some sort of like a whining, sort of chattering sound. Yeah. But I'd be thinking of raccoons. They do whenever, make some kind of a sound. Whenever I see a video, I like I saw someone posted a video on YouTube of what they actually sound like. And it was like uncomfortably disappointing. Like you expect mm-hmm. the fox yeah. to have like something cool, like a wolf howl, but it's more like a squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen some uh, foxes up close and they were making this just, I don't know, this kind of chattering. Yeah. It's kind of squirrel sound. It was I guess like, they would need to be kind of quiet, right? They're not going to go out and, and just like project that, Hey, I'm here. Well, right. they're using the Earth's core to... No, magnetic field. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, so so kids, go look up foxes plus magnetic field, but don't look up fox sounds because you'll be disappointed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, that brings us to, speaking of being disappointed, this week's word of the week. Graham. Yes. It, it's, time for, it's time for the word of the week printer. And yeah. Astrid, I don't know if you know this, but we have an ongoing problem here on Withy Wendell where Graham is supposed to be uh, maintaining, taking care of, protecting, not letting the printer escape, all those sorts of things. And, you know, however many episodes we're into this, it's 18 or something like that. We've had a lot of failure on that. And I don't really mean to throw Graham under the bus, except that, like, it's his whole responsibility. And so every time we do this, I'm a little on edge. I'm a little nervous to find out exactly whether we're actually going to get a word of the week when we first attempt to do it. Mm-hmm. So Astrid, don't get your expectations too high here, but Graham. Yeah. Did the printer work? Do we have a word? Okay. So in the last episode, you'll, re- you'll recall the print, we gave the printer legs for some odd reason and it went out to um, see the world and we kind of lost <laughs> it for a bit. Yes. So I spent the last week looking for this printer and finally out, out in the forest, I found it sitting kind of cross-legged and just meditating in the woods. <laughs> meditating printer. Okay. That, that's how I could sneak up on it and bring it back. Cause it was I thought like, you were communicating with your magnetic fields in the, well, in there the might've been some of that too. <laughs> okay. Being that the printer's metal. Um, <laughs> so yes, I managed to get the printer back here. It had a lot of leaves and, you know, bramble on it, mm-hmm. but I've, I've mm-hmm. taken out the voice activation, taken off the legs. So let's just see how this works. Okay. Okay. Press the button. Wow. Well, it's, it's working. Yeah, but it, uh, that doesn't look like paper. Wait, it looks like it's printed what? the word on... What is that? I think that's a squirrel. There's a word on a squirrel. I have never seen a squirrel. The squirrel's a little flat. Let me open this up. Oh, there's a whole family of squirrels inside here. We have... Okay, so did we get... But wait, do we have a word or not? Uh, well, the squirrel just uh, ran away. So, wait, what? What? What just happened? It's Graham. You didn't check for squirrels inside the printer. I didn't know it was necessary, but now I see my error. Once again, we're going to need a minute. 
Okay, we are back. We have a word. We have a word of the week. We actually caught the squirrel. Took quite a bit of work, much like the uh, some pig in the scene where Babe is running around. Uh, we we did eventually catch the squirrel, and this was the word that was printed on that squirrel's back. Finny Fugle. Mm. F i n i f u g a l. Should I tell you what part of speech it is? Yeah, please. <laughs> it is an adjective. <laughs> Finny Fugle. Finny Fugle. Finny Fugle. Finifugal. I don't know. Something like that. So we're going to take a minute. Graham's going to go first, and then I'll go, and then Astrid's going to go, and we're going to find out what the actual definition to this word is. Be back in a moment. Okay, well, we are back, and before we get into this, um, it occurs to me that maybe we should pronounce it finifugal. It could be another way of saying it instead of finifugal. Who knows? Also, there is a peculiarly large bear over your right shoulder there, Astrid. It has a hat on and a white shirt and a green vest. Could you tell us more about this bear? So the bear is, he's actually a cardboard cutout. Oh. Yeah, don't be too concerned, David. Well, yeah, he's been there a while. He seems friendly. Yeah, he's he's kind of staying still. So yeah. um, he's one of the characters in Hector Fox and the Giant Quest. So you made a life-size, well... Maybe not life-size, but you made a big cutout version of him just to hang out with you in your studio. Um, I made him, well, he's about, he's five feet tall. Oh. So he is sort of like fairly life-size. Yeah. I, it's I hard do to tell so. exactly from. Yeah. So I know I kind of failed all the Fox questions, but um, oh. I did do research as to size. So <laughs> Foxes are about probably, if they were standing up, probably sort of fairly like three feet tall. And okay. Then the bear who's in the book is probably about five feet tall and they all get smaller from there, except there's a moose in the story and I just gave away a big part of the plot of the, of the story there. But um, yeah, he was a um, window decoration in my local bookstore when the book came out. That oh, is nice. amazing. Yeah. I would love to have a bear like that in our bookstore window. So that was great. It just gave us another reason to talk about, about the book, which yeah. uh, that, when did that come out again? The book recently. came out, yeah, the book came out in September. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody should definitely go check out that book. It's really fun and beautiful. So just wanted another excuse to, to plug that. Okay, let's talk about finifugal or finifugal. Graham, what do you think this word means? Okay, so you said it was an adjective. I'm going to have to disagree. Oh, okay. Uh, it is, in fact, a noun. Oh, okay. Okay, so everybody knows that the finifugal, not the finifugal, um, it's an instrument, uh, much okay. like a French horn, uh, and you blow into it when you're announcing that you consider a price to be too high. So you would carry this around <laughs> to different stores or while you're trying to haggle <laughs> with you know, what, a contractor or something. And, and when that price comes back to you, you blow into it and they know, hmm. oh, he's not, you know, he's not happy with this. So this is why, David, every Wednesday I come into your store and blow that horn. And then leave. Yeah. No, you're not the only one. <laughs> so I also actually took issue with my assertion that it's an adjective because I think that the Finny Fugle is the final round in a contest between two artists who are engaged in a draw off to see who gets to illustrate a picture book for the new prince. So two artists, wow. they're going to have a draw off competition to see who gets to do the illustrations of the picture book that is going to be dedicated to a newborn prince in a kingdom that sounds very cool yeah pretty good what do you think the definition is 
I am relieved to hear that you all took issue with the type of word this is because I was questioning that as well. So a finifugal is the name for those spines that are on a very tropical deep water fish. Uh, and it has to be exactly the number seven across the top and preferably in purple color. So, so if you are in the tropics, very far down underwater and you happen to see a fish with these seven sort of spines on its back, then you know that those spines are called finifugal. Yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Let's just go with that one. So let's just do that. So, and you have to make sure and count them because you don't want to be the person who, you know, uh, comes up from the water and is like, do you see the finifugal on that fish? And it actually had eight, eight spines on it. And that's something entirely different. Yeah. And you look foolish. And it might be poisonous. Oh, so you have to be careful to count. <laughs> well, that's one of the better definitions we've ever gotten on this show. Unfortunately, it is not the real definition, though. The real definition is finifugal is an adjective. It actually is an adjective. It describes someone who hates endings, someone who tries to avoid or prolong the final moments, say, of a story, relationship, or journey. Finifugal. Finifugal. That's what it means. I have felt that way before, but yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Same. No, there was a word for that. That's great. Or maybe the, the ending of a podcast episode, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which of course brings us to the end of this conversation. Astrid, one final question for you. What advice do you have for kids who want to be illustrators like you are? I would just say draw as much as you can have a sketchbook with you whenever you're sitting in the car, whenever you're feeling bored, waiting for somebody, waiting for one of your family members to be done with a sports game or whatever, have a pencil and have a sketchbook and draw and draw and draw. And you don't have, it doesn't have to be perfect. Make messy drawings. Don't, don't go in and rip out the bad drawings. Hmm. I make bad drawings too. It's all part of the process, but practicing and working. And I guess the other thing would be don't, yeah, don't feel it has to be perfect. Uh, you have to do a lot of bad drawings before you get any good drawings. Hmm. Well, I guess that's good. Yeah, there's hope <laughs> for you, Dave. <laughs> I guess that's a little, dis- that's a little dis- about that. disappointing. No. <laughs> but, you know, just keep drawing and, you know, with time and practice, like with anything else, like learning a musical instrument or yeah. writing yeah, or writing. whatever it happens to be, you know, doing anything with sports, you have to work at it and it pays off. It yeah. really does. And sometimes the process is fun. Yeah. So just go do the thing that you mm-hmm. want to do. Yep. Like now, go do the thing. This podcast <laughs> is almost over. Just go right now. <laughs> Speaking of which, Asher, we will let you go do the thing. We'll let you go. Um, maybe illustrator. Yep. Hang out with your bear back there. <laughs> does he? Does he drink coffee or tea or is it Cheetos or Doritos for that bear? <laughs> <laughs> no, he he just kind of stands there and stares. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. You know, Graham does that sometimes too. So yeah. Astrid, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been really fun and uh, we love the books and uh, can't wait to see more in the future. So really There will definitely be more coming. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. See you later. All right. Well, thank you so much to Astrid Shekels for coming on the podcast and chatting about her work and her life and be sure to check all of her books out. You can get them wherever, wherever books are sold. So, you know, we talked about that bear. Yeah, um, yeah. That's yeah. in her studio, that big yep. bear. 
Yeah. She sent me a picture of it. She did. So I, yeah. So I'm going to post it on the Instagram. So if okay. you go Instagram or with your parents, you go to Instagram and you type in Goldberry Studios will come up and you'll be able to see it there. That's awesome. I can't wait to, to reconnect with, with the bear. And um, there's something funny about the bear in the picture she sent me. So it's great. <laughs> excited for you to see it too. Well, of course, the way that you can get in touch with us is you, through that Instagram, but there's also email, which is podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. And yeah. that's also the place where you can send your answers to our riddles, which of course is convenient because it is now time for Riddle Time. Riddle time. Riddle time. All right. So let me recap last week's riddle. That's a good idea. I think you should do that. So there was an armorer, which is a hard word to say. Armorer. Um, Armorer. If he if make it even harder, we could say he was a rural armorer. <laughs> a rural armorer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So his name was wearing um, Armani. His name was Timothy or Thomas. I can't remember. I think it's Thomas Timotron. Timoth Timothos. No, it's Tom- I think it was Thomas. Timothy. Timothy. Thomas. Thomas. Thomas Tingletoes. Thomas Tingletoes. Okay. Man. Okay. Thomas Tingletoes makes swords <laughs> and spears. He goes to a king who I also cannot remember what we named him. I think it was Jared or Jeffrey or Jason. Um, it was probably something completely different, like Matthias. Um, he goes Why to is it king. is, officially. He goes to the king and says, I have made a, uh, or I make, I make shields that cannot be pierced by any spear. And I make mm. spears that can pierce anything. And the king says, well, I can prove you wrong on at least one account. And so how does he prove him wrong? Well, the king takes the spear that Thomas, Tom, Tim, Timus, Timothon has, has crafted and then proceeds to throw it at the shield, which Thomas has also crafted. And so mm. if the spear does not go through the shield, then Thomas is wrong that his that his spear can pierce anything. Right? Yeah, tricky. But if it does go through the shield, then Thomas is also wrong mm. because that means his shield cannot stop any spear. Tricky, tricky. It's pretty clever, right? How many how many kids got this right? Uh, everybody. Well, I mean, all the answers everybody we got in the world. In, all the answers we got in were right. So maybe it's not as tricky as we thought. People, or maybe the kids are just really smart. That's I think it's a fun it. one. I think that's a good one. Like it's you have to think about it for a minute. But then once you get it, you kind of get that light bulb moment. And you go, ah. And the, the most confusing thing about it is the names that we gave them and the way we explained it, I'm sure. That will definitely not be true about this week's riddle. Are you ready for this one? Let's hear it. it you, you said earlier it's, it's Christmas time, right? So it's, it's early mm-hmm. December. Christmas is coming. St. Nicholas Day is coming. So it is. this is a Christmas-themed riddle. Yes. So you have, to, you have to imagine, okay? You have to imagine. Put on your imagination cap. Is the answer to stop imagining? Is that the answer to this riddle? <laughs> no, not this one. That's a different one. Okay. Okay. okay so it's Christmas Eve. Mm. The snow is falling. Santa. Santa Claus. That's, his, that's the name we're going to use. <laughs> Santa? 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 <laughs> I know him. <laughs> so. Santa is in his workshop. Okay. The elves have been making all of their toys, right? All the toys that all the the good children have requested. He puts on his his red 
coat. Mm. But then he also has a green one that he wears. First place is where it's especially cold. He puts that one over. He puts his hat on. He even puts on, like, earmuffs just for, like, the places where it's really, really cold because, you know, some places it's even colder than the North Pole, presumably. So, and also you just never know what the forecast is going to be. So he puts all that on. He makes sure that all the presents have been put into the sled. He goes out to the uh, reindeer barn. He gives all of the reindeer a snack, some water. He's gearing them up, right? They gotta get, they gotta have their strength. They've been well fed over the past few months. They've been exercising, all those sorts of things. So he gets the reindeer. He brings them to the sled. <laughs> he hitches the reindeer up to the sled. He double checks everything because it's Santa, right? He has to double check to make sure that every last pleasant present for every last yeah. good child is in that sled. He's got to make sure, like, Rudolph's nose is working properly. Right. Well, exactly. Exactly. There's just a lot of things you have to double check when you're Santa on Christmas Eve. There's a lot of children who are depending on Santa's performance that night and on the reindeer and on the sled, all those sorts of things. It's not an an enviable job, I would think. I would think not. I mean, he's good. There's going to be tight chimneys. There's going to be slippery rooftops. <laughs> there's going to be at least a few cookies that don't taste good. You know, there's a lot oh. of things that go into being Santa. Most cookies, you know, all the kids who listen to this podcast, they're obviously their cookies don't taste good. But there's got to be at least a few out there that like put salt instead of sugar or something. So Santa Claus is getting ready to leave. He does all that stuff. He's done all the preparations. He's checked them twice. And then he takes off. Huh. He takes off to deliver all the presents to all the good children. What a riddle. What a riddle. What direction does he travel? What? That's the question. What direction does he travel? What direction does he travel? Yeah. He leaves. He leaves his workshop in the North Pole to deliver presents to all the good children. He goes through all those, his whole routine to make sure Mm -hmm. everything is, everything's good. But then he leaves. What direction does he travel? That's the riddle. Okay. This is a good one. If you think you know the answer, what should people do, Graham? I'm just trying to figure out this riddle. Hold on. What direction? Well, he's thinking, I'll tell you, that you can email podcasts, as I said a minute ago, podcasts at goldberrybooks.com, and you can send us what you think the answer to this riddle is. And next week's episode, we will give you, we'll give you the answer and share, and share another riddle. Graham, should we tell everyone who's on next week's episode? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, next week, we are having on author and illustrator Ben Hatke. Ben Hatke? <laughs> I know him. Actually, I don't. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. not, not really. Not beyond like. Well, you know what he's written. Do you know what I he's do. written? I do. Oh, he is good. He has written um, Z to the Space Girl, that whole series of graphic novels for kids. He's done Mighty Jack. And he's got a bunch of picture books, um, like the Julia's House books and things like that. He is one of the, the favorites. Of, of our family. I think you guys are big fans too, right? Yeah. Yep. I, Rowan's read them all. So if you have questions for Mr. Ben Hatke, um, please email them in podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. And don't forget, we are going to finish this book um, for next week. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and do those last four chapters. So if you want to send us an answer to a riddle, a question for Ben Hatke, or a picture of... <laughs> of, of a spider winking, <laughs> then you can email that email address. Graham, is there anything else we need to add to the end of this week's episode before we, before we go? Uh, I, I don't think so. Are you, are you fishing for something? Is no. there something we missed? Nope. This is a genuine question. It was a genuine question. Uh, Although I think, I think we... Go, go ahead. 
Oh, I think we covered it. I think we got everything. Well, I think we watch. We, watch. This is the one episode where we missed like an entire segment. <laughs> we're so self-assured at the end of it. Oh, we're good. We're good. I mean, we did snack time, so that's really that's the most important. We, we interviewed an author. We did snack time. Okay, we're good. Um, don't forget, you can get a free sample session of the Green Writer when you go to greenwriter.stsmith.com, and then of course you can also get ten percent off that whole program by using the code WithyWindle W I T H Y W I N D L E. We would certainly appreciate if you do that because it helps support our friends. And that's good for us because they helped support us. And, you know, we're just big fans of theirs. So check them out. If you're, if you're already signed up, hope you're enjoying that and writing some really great stuff as you uh, go and grow. Graham, this has been fun. Thanks to Astrid Shekels for coming on. Thanks to you for your joke, for telling us the answer to last week's riddle, for just being yourself. Thanks for being yourself, Graham. Bringing your, uh, your pleasant self to, to this podcast each and every week. It's, it's really yeah, kind. You're very, you're very welcome. And thank you for um, not fainting when you saw that mouse. Oh, yeah, that would have been a shame. You know, it would be hard to do a podcast with one, the other person fainting. You'd have to go solo the whole time. Yeah, so I don't want to try it. But again, you, you never know what's going to happen in the future. So. <laughs> that's, that's true. No, it might not be better. You never know. Sometimes great things happen by accident, which is a, that's a good place to end this show. So for Grant Pittman, I'm David Kern. This has been Witty Window. And uh, thank, thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye.